It's sometime in the year 1988, and a high school student wakes up for school. Their bedsheets have a distinctive design. A white background made up of yellow, purple, and lime green pastel circles of various sizes. The sheets are also covered in squares, triangles, squiggles, and zigzag lines. Their outfit of the day includes a shirt with similar graphics, including zebra stripe and a checkerboard pattern. They grab their books, give themselves a look, get to school, and open up their locker. Inside are cutout pictures from Teen Beat magazine featuring graphical backgrounds of these distorted shapes, lines, and bright colors. They head to class and pull out their binders and trapper keeper, both adorned with that similar aesthetic. They race home after school to catch some of their favorite shows, whose intros follow that similar design pattern, while the commercial bumpers and commercials themselves are filled with these clashing colors, mismatched shapes, and almost a cartoon-like appearance. Little does this kid know they are witnessing a certain design style created by an Italian art collective that created the look we associate with the 1980s. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connect it. And on today's journey, I take you back to the origins of the group, design, and style that created the aesthetic of the 1980s. This is the story of the Memphis design. decade has a certain aesthetic that defines that era. The 60s were all about flowers, tie-dye, and psychedelic swirling colors. The dreadful 1970s was about earth tones and a lot of brown and avocado green. This was also featured in my childhood basement, made up of fake wood wall paneling and orange shag carpet. But for the 1980s, you can probably picture the bright pop aesthetic right now. All you have to do is envision that Say by the Bell opening or any of the binders and folders you probably had in your backpack that were filled with bright colors, mismatched shapes, and kind of a chaotic pattern. You just have to look at the artwork logo for this podcast to picture what I'm talking about as it perfectly encapsulates this time period. Shout out to fellow Canadian Janet Kordahai, who is the super talented designer who created it. But where did this style we associate with the 80s come from? It didn't just appear out of thin air. How did this become the look of the 80s? Well, it started with a collection of artists called the Memphis Group. And they may be the most important 1980s group that you've never heard of, as the 80s as you recognize them wouldn't have happened without them. So what exactly was the Memphis Group and how did it start? The Memphis Group was an Italian art collective started by Ettore Sotsis. Sotsis was born in 1917 in Austria, but grew up in Turin, Italy. He was the son of an architect, and this would have a major influence on him as far as style and design went. Sotsis also studied architecture and graduated in 1939. Sotsis had always been drawn to the world of art and design, and his first involvement with artistic groups was when he became a member of the MIAR. This was a modernist architecture group that also allowed him to work alongside his father. 
We are now in the time period after World War II, and many destroyed and damaged buildings needed to be rebuilt. Sotsis and his father looked to create modernist versions of buildings that would change the aesthetic of where they were located. Sotsis would eventually break free from his father and set up his very own architectural studio, where he too also focused on industrial design. It was at this point, however, that he started to look beyond just architecture and how he could lend his design to many different mediums, including ceramics, sculpture, painting, photography, jewelry, furniture, and interior design. Sotsis also looked beyond just his home country of Italy, and in 1956, he moved to New York. While there, he worked for American industrial designer George Nelson, who had him traveling all over with different projects and assignments. Sotsis eventually returned home to Italy and started working as an artistic consultant with furniture companies. He had a unique approach that created a radical shift in something as simple as furniture design. It was while working as the artistic consultant that he started to put in place the design features that would influence the Memphis design. Before the formation of the Memphis group, Sotsis worked for a famous Italian entrepreneur and politician, Adriano Olivetti. Olivetti hired Sotsis as a design consultant as he liked the fresh and radical approach he saw in his work. Sotsis was a bit of a rebel, but considered a rebel with a cause, and his work was beginning to get noticed and appreciated. Olivetti had Sotsis design all aspects of his environment, including the look of his offices, the design, color, furniture, and even the objects within the office. Sotsis started designing boring mechanical objects like computers and typewriters, and this is really where he started to make his name as a unique designer. Sotsis was creating pop consumer objects that made regular items trendy. He wanted all items in a room to stand out as opposed to having just one focal point. A lamp or fruit bowl didn't have to be boring or pedestrian. They could be unique. This was a similar approach taken by Steve Jobs when he was with Apple. Like Sotsis, Jobs believed that something bland and mechanical, like a computer, could actually be a piece of art, and even a statement. Sotsis used unconventional colors, styling, and forms to transform everyday objects into pieces of art, while still allowing them to be functional. He also started using some of the colors and designs that would later be adopted by the Memphis group and included in the famous Memphis design. Because of the success of the work he was doing, Olivetti offered Sotsis a job as a full-time designer, along with a massive salary. But Sotsis saw this as settling and it wouldn't allow him to expand and evolve his work, so he declined the offer. Consider him the James Dean of the art world, where he really did play by his own rules. Sotsis was ready to branch out on his own. Going into the late 60s and early 70s, many artistic groups were popping up. These groups were collectives of like-minded people who were interested in creating artistic movements. These collectives all had the same goal of trying to influence the culture with their specific take on design and style. In 1980, Sotsis founded the Memphis Group with the similar intent 
of changing the world of architecture, furniture, and overall design. He started the group on December 1st, 1980, when he first met with a variety of designers and artists who were all about the Italian cool movement. But it wasn't officially called the Memphis Group until 1981. The name of the group has nothing to do with being in the city of Memphis, but instead comes from a Bob Dylan song. During their first meeting, Bob Dylan's Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues Again was regularly playing, and the name Memphis stood out. This would be the name of their group. All the artists and designers that formed the Memphis group shared similar backgrounds and artistic interests. They were also big fans of the Art Deco movement. This artistic movement first appeared in France shortly before the First World War. You can see this Art Deco style reflected in many objects, buildings, art, jewelry, and even vehicles at the time. A perfect example of the Art Deco style reflected in architecture is the Chrysler Building in New York. Pop art also influenced the members of the Memphis group. Pop art is the specific art style from the 1950s primarily seen in the United States and Britain. Pop art was all about the very kitschy and unique. It's got a very comic book-like look to it and is all about including imagery from pop culture. This pop art style was used in many advertisements in the 1950s. If you're trying to picture pop art, just envision the Campbell soup can images by Andy Warhol or the multiple headshot images of Marilyn Monroe, each featuring different vibrant and bright colors. And just to give another example of pop art, if you grew up in the 80s, just picture the set from Pee Wee's Playhouse. The goal of the Memphis group and Sotsis himself was to be innovators while still being provocative and maybe a bit controversial. The group really transcended every type of practice and explored their own curiosities to create their art and designs. The Memphis group soon made a big splash in the design world with their postmodernist furniture design, and their unique style soon captured the attention of the art world. Taking their influence from the 1950s, Art Deco, and Pop Art, they started putting out furniture that looked like it was right out of a painting. Their work featured colorful, geometric-shaped creations that could be seen as odd or bizarre to the regular person. However, this style was embraced by celebrities at the time, including Andy Warhol and David Bowie. Their first big showcase to the world was in 1981 at the Salon de Mobile, which was a significant furniture design fair held in Milan, Italy. They debuted many pieces at this fair, but it was their furniture designs that became the focal point. Every piece of furniture they created was given the name of a famous hotel such as Bel Air, Plaza Vanity, or Sheraton. They were simply taking lower budget items and materials and putting them together in this bizarre fashion but then giving them high-end names. This was the essence of faux chic. This new, bizarre, but unique style was confusing some people, but enthralling others. No matter what the reaction was from people, there was still a reaction, and the exhibition soon became overrun with visitors. Everyone was clamoring to see this new art style being unveiled. There were so many people swarming to get into the building that when members of the Memphis group arrived, they thought there had been a terrorist attack. The crowds they saw 
were there for them. The very essence of the Memphis group was about pushing boundaries. They were all about radical design, and this was the bedrock of what they would soon dub the Memphis design. Up to this point, much of the design world had been about modernism, which was very minimal and practical. The Memphis group believed modernism put designers and artists into a box, and the 1980s shouldn't reflect this. A new era of design and art was needed to reflect a new and changing decade. The Memphis design was all about being radical. It was a response to the bland, minimal, and practical design that was created in modernism. This was very apparent in the 1970s, which embraced that minimalist and neutral aesthetic. But this was a brand new decade full of change and hope. And it was time to abandon all the drudgery and despair of the 70s. Modernism was boring and nerdy. The Memphis design was cool and unpredictable. If design styles were music, modernism was elevator music. Memphis style was punk rock, and it was kicking down the doors of previously accepted norms. The Memphis design was all about those big, bold, and bright colors, bizarre shapes, and mismatching styles. In Memphis design, colors clash and shapes sit on top of shapes, but everything pops, and this really was a great way to represent the 1980s. The Memphis design was counterculture and rebelled against the aesthetics of the previous decade. This new decade we were living in was not only about change, but innovation and experimentation. And the Memphis design also embraced the change in technology we started to see in the 80s. We were now into more of a computer age, but thanks to technology, also had access to new materials. We now had new options such as laminates, plastics, and synthetic materials that offered new possibilities for designers. The change in technology allowed a new generation of designers to break free from traditional materials and express themselves in a whole new way. And that's really what Memphis design was all about, self-expression. The 1980s were a decade that were defined, for better or for worse, by individualism. Memphis design perfectly captured this new moment in time. And it didn't take long for the Memphis design to spread. After the success of the Milan Furniture Fair, the Memphis group started to see their influence spread around the world, and it would soon make a big splash in North American pop culture. The Memphis group and their new style were starting to influence many other artists and designers who fully embraced this new radical approach. Sometimes it just takes that one person to take the first step before everyone makes a run for it. That's what the Memphis design was. The quick spread of the Memphis design also worked perfectly with the advent of another new groundbreaking and radical idea, music television. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. An 
all-day music channel seemed completely impractical and doomed to fail. But when MTV first debuted on August 1st, 1981, it changed the way we consume music and pop culture itself. I have a previous episode all about the history of MTV and how groundbreaking it was in my earlier episodes if you want to go back and check that out. And it made perfect sense that when MTV first debuted, they used the Memphis design in their logo promotion and introduction. When MTV first debuted to the world, we were greeted with the launch of the space shuttle before we heard, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. And then the screen burst into the MTV logo, made of bizarre shapes, patterns, and colors of the Memphis design. For many people, this was their first time seeing this unique new artistic style. The image we saw of the MTV flag on the moon cycled through an endless amount of those clashing colors and shapes and the pop art design embraced by the Memphis group. Both MTV and the Memphis design were a match made in heaven. These two things represented a movement. Both were about counterculture, change, and pushing the limits. And both went on to define the 1980s as we know it. But the look of the 80s was only just getting started. With the Memphis design, the Memphis group had now created a full-on movement. And in the 80s, it was spreading fast. I mentioned Pee-wee's Playhouse earlier, and the groundbreaking kids show that debuted on September 13, 1986, was another popular creation that further spread awareness of this new style. The very essence of Pee-wee's Playhouse was the perfect incarnation of what the Memphis design was all about. Ready to assist you, Pee-wee. Morning, Clunky. What's today's secret word? Today's secret word is look. You all know what to do for the rest of the day. When anyone says the secret word, scream real loud. The aesthetic of Pee-wee's Playhouse, a show my mom hated, was all about that radical design and. 1950s kitschy appeal. It featured all the designs made famous by the Memphis group, and the entire set looked like something out of a bizarre fever dream. The red door of the playhouse looked like a shark had taken a bite out of the side. The walls were orange, pink, and green, and the windowsills were yellow. Cherry was lime green, and polka dots and random shapes were everywhere. The kitchen was gray with pink and yellow shapes with checkerboard patterns on the wall. Nothing matched. Everything clashed, but it absolutely stood out. Kiwi's Playhouse had a big impact on kids and pop culture, and a big part of this impact was the look of the show, all made possible by the Memphis design. And then there was another massively influential show for 80s kids which also embraced this style. Lockers, the key to my plan. Now Kelly was assigned this locker, which means the one next to it will soon be mine. Hi, you're new here. I'm Zach Morris. And I'm Roger Rabbit, so what? <laughs> Come on, what's your name? Slater. Well, Slater, too bad you got stuck with the bum locker. Saved by the Bell debuted on August 20th, 1989. 
which wasn't Saturday morning or after school, but was actually a Sunday night. Fun fact, this was also the same night of the infamous Menendez brothers' murders. Saved by the Bell is a spinoff of the show Good Morning Miss Bliss, which first introduced us to Zach Morris, Lisa Powers, and Screech. Saved by the Bell needed a fresh start, and that included making use of a fresh new design for its opening. The intro for Saved by the Bell heavily features the Memphis design. The background is purple, blue, and violet with swirls and squiggly lines moving throughout the screen. It changes to red and blue zigzag patterns with images of pink flamingos floating through. The design format of the opening credits constantly changes and even the logo for the show is made up of neon blue, pink, and a yellowish green. The kids of Saved by the Bell also dressed in Memphis-style clothes, specifically Screech. And, like Pee-wee's Playhouse, we see full usage of the Memphis design on Saved by the Bell in the Max, the restaurant of choice for the kids of Bayside High. The Max was the Memphis style personified and filled with that 1950s pop art style with bizarre shapes and colors. And then we see the Memphis design in other classic 1980s shows like Miami Vice. And the look was used to create the commercials and look for the beloved TGIF Friday night lineup on ABC. Tomorrow, you'll say TGIF when Full House is their season premiere, Lost in Paradise. The play, the play. Then the comedy's family-sized. I told your mama she can move in with us. The premiere of Family Matters. Make way for the hottest guys on wheels, the season premiere of Perfect Strangers. Fall under the spell of the cutest. Witch on television, a sneak preview of Free Spirit. The new season begins for Full House, Family Matters, Perfect Strangers, and Free Spirit. Tomorrow. I have a previous episode all about TGIF if you want to go back and check that out too. But this Friday Night Institution has roots going all the way back to 1985 and technically began during the 1988-1989 season. If you remember the logo for TGIF, it featured various fonts with a changing color background made up of purple, green, blue, orange, and pink. Very Memphis. Shows like Saved by the Bell and the TGIF lineup would continue into the 90s, but they took the Memphis design with them. A lot of the look and aesthetic we associate with the early 90s is just a continuation of the design created by the Memphis group years earlier. This is just another example of how the first few years of each new decade are just a continuation of the one that came before it until that new decade finds its own identity. And to keep this story going, don't forget to check out the History of the 90s podcast wherever you get your podcast. Another great example of the Memphis design in 80s pop culture is from Back to the Future 2 with the Cafe 80s. They set part of this movie in the year 2015 and Marty from 1985 is there to stop his future son from making a bad deal with the future grandson of Biff Tannen. Their meeting takes place in the Cafe 80s, which fully encompasses the look of the 80s, and that's the Memphis design. The Cafe 80s, again, looks like Pee-wee's Playhouse and the Max from Saved by the Bell. The Cafe 80s features a black and white checkerboard floor. The seats are teal and yellow, and red, yellow, and pink shapes of various styles hang throughout it. 
Back to the Future 2 was made in early 1989, and the creators of the movie took what they saw all around them during this time to create a snapshot of how future generations would look back on the 80s. But that was some example of the Memphis design from the world of entertainment. Out in the real world, the Memphis design was now showing up everywhere else, including clothing, posters, bedsheets, school binders, pencil cases, and many other items. You may have had some of these things yourself. Interior designers who incorporated the movement's bold colors and geometric shapes into everything from wallpaper and fabrics also adopted the Memphis aesthetic to lighting fixtures and home accessories. This helped to bring the Memphis aesthetic into people's homes and made it much more accessible to a wider audience. And then there was the fashion. The Memphis design had a significant influence on the world of fashion in the 1980s. The movement's bold, colorful, and playful aesthetic, as well as its use of unconventional materials, resonated with fashion designers who, like their customers, were looking for new and exciting ways to express themselves. Cue Madonna's song Express Yourself, recorded in 1988 and released on May 9, 1989. One of the most notable ways that the Memphis design influenced fashion in the 80s was through the use of those bold and contrasting colors. We know Memphis design used bright and unexpected color combinations, and this aesthetic was embraced by fashion designers who sought to create clothing that was just as eye-catching and vibrant. If the 1970s were about blending in, the 1980s were about standing out. Geometric shapes were also a defining feature of the Memphis aesthetic, and this influence can be seen in the use of bold graphic patterns in fashion design during the 80s. A lot of clothing featured geometrical shapes and weird patterns, as well as the use of some bold asymmetrical silhouettes. This has been making me remember about some of the abysmal sweaters and windbreakers that I wore during the 1980s. I mentioned earlier about the use of new materials for furniture design that was available in the 80s, and this was also a key aspect of the Memphis design in fashion. New types of fabrics and textures in fashion design were now becoming more available. This can be seen in the use of plastic, metal, and other synthetic materials in clothing, along with the use of the unusual patterns and textures. Some of the more prominent fashion designers that incorporated the Memphis aesthetic into their work during the 80s include Versace, Mary McFadden, and Catherine Hamnett. They experimented with those bold colors, graphic patterns, and unconventional materials to create clothes that were playful and eye-catching. The Memphis group applied their new style to interior design and furniture, and now fashion designers were taking the same approach, but with clothing. So, what happened to the Memphis group? Going into the late 80s, the Memphis group itself was starting to slow down. Even though their work was now everywhere, by 1988, the group was pretty much done. But Ettore Satsas had started to slowly remove himself earlier than that. While the Memphis design was creating the look and aesthetic of the 80s, he was creating a design consultancy that he called Satsas Associati. His new project was all about being able to create architecture on a huge scale while also creating designs for international agencies. 
The Memphis group was focused on smaller objects, furniture, and general art. Sotsis wanted to take things in a grander direction. He left the Memphis group in 1985 to focus solely on his new direction. The interesting thing about Sotsis Associati is they were doing what Steve Jobs eventually would do with the Apple stores. Sotsis created the design and look for the stores of Esprit. He was creating a look and aesthetic that could only be associated with their brand instead of all the other cookie-cutter stores and showrooms out there. He was creating a form of branding done through store design. It's the same thing today with the Apple Store. There is no mistaking that you are in any other type of store. As big as the legacy he created was, more people have become familiar with the Memphis group and design as opposed to Sotsis himself. Young designers are coming out of schools and many are referencing Memphis as a major influence while not always referring to Sotsis himself. The Memphis group and design was so massive that it seemed to eclipse that of its own founder. He has left a massive legacy and it's being shared by museums and exhibitions around the world. And his work has been showcased in museum exhibits around the world. Sotsis died on New Year's Eve 2007 at the age of 90, but he left behind an incredible legacy on the art world. And I want to finish with a question. If you were making a movie today that was set 40 years in the future, but had to represent our current time period, what would it look like? What would that snapshot of this era be? And what would be the color scheme and design elements that would define it? In 1989, while making Back to the Future 2, it was pretty easy to capture that moment in time. But I'm not even sure if there's anything definitive that represents our current time period. I picture slate grays, white, and maybe some earth tone colors. Maybe this era is defined by granite countertops and stainless steel appliances that future generations of people watching House Hunters will mock for being so outdated. Today's style, if anything, could be called warm, muted, and maybe understated. The 80s style may have been loud and busy, but it was definitely not forgettable. It was definitive, and that's what the Memphis design was all about. And the Memphis design was more than just a look, but represented an entire era. Just like the 80s themselves, the Memphis design was playful, colorful, and expressive. It was fun and upbeat. Again, more of those defining characteristics we now associate with the decade. Perms, leg warmers, pastel colors, neon shades, the 1980s were all about change, excitement, energy, and self-expression. And the Memphis design was the aesthetic that truly captured the decade. The Memphis design has often been referred to as cartoonish glee, yet another great way to describe the 80s. I think one of the best ways to sum up the Memphis design is unconventional, and that also perfectly represents the 1980s. If the 1970s were bland, minimalist, and dreary, the 1980s were the polar opposite, and the Memphis design reflected this as the style continued right into the 90s. The Memphis design is something that most people probably couldn't tell you the name of, but instantly recognize when they see it.
So that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening. If you want some more great 80s content, just dive back into my previous episodes. I've got enough shows there to keep you covered for quite a while. And if you haven't already, why not subscribe to the show so new episodes automatically show up in your feed when I release a new episode. And if you're in a position to do so, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon. That's the platform to get access to bonus audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. If you want to learn more and check it out, you can go to patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80s, or there should be a link in the description. If you really like this show, do me a solid and leave a five-star rating and review. That not only makes my mom more proud of me, but allows more people to get access to these topics that they've maybe forgotten about or want to dive back into. So thank you for listening. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. Hold up. 